Here's an intriguing and surprising question. We all know, of course, that Avram Avinu, Yitzchak, Yaakov, our forefathers, were incredible human beings who had tremendous dedication to God. So it makes sense, of course, that we would read their stories. But the Torah is a book of instructions. And the fact is that we do mitzvahs today not because of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, but because of the revelation at Sinai and the instruction by Moshe Rabbeinu. See, here's the question. What are we meant to learn from their conduct, which was vastly different to our experience of Torah mitzvahs today, and why, in fact, did the unfolding of the Jewish experience happen first with a pre-Matan Torah experience and only afterwards with the Torah experience? Great lesson for us in terms of our own spiritual development. The Rebbe himself and many places in Hasidus describe the big difference, the distinction between the way in which Avram Avinu kept mitzvahs and learned Torah. And he did learn Torah. How do we know that? Because the Chachamim tell us that Avram Avinu was an elderly or wise man sitting and learning in Torah. And as we know very well, as we know that Avram Avinu fulfilled the entire Torah, even rabbinic laws, before the Torah was given. And likewise, so we look at the distinction between the mitzvahs as performed by our Avos and as the Shvatim and by the Shvatim compared to compared to how we fulfill Torah mitzvahs today post Matan Torah how does Hasidus explain it? Because the Torah learning of our forefathers was prior to the revelation at Sinai. Before there was an instruction that you are required to learn Torah and do mitzvahs and prior to the concept of Hashem descending onto Sinai to present us with the Torah, which means, which really implies that everything they did was wonderful, but it was not under instruction. And we do know the Gemara tells us that it is greater to do something that you're instructed to do than something that you volunteer to do. And that's how they did it. Chassidus explains it was not just voluntary, but their Torah mitzvahs were driven by their own abilities. For which reason, That's why they were unable through their Torah mitzvahs to reach a level that is beyond the reach of created beings, even the most lofty created beings. All, all, it was a huge achievement, but all Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov and the Shvatim were able to achieve through Torah mitzvahs was the ceiling of human achievement or of created beings' achievement. And they excelled in that, but that was their ceiling. But after Matan Torah, not because we are in any way greater people. What changed is that Hashem involved Himself in the process and instructed us to learn Torah and do mitzvahs. And therefore, So we were given a gift that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and the Shvatim didn't have. And that's the gift of Hashem installing His essence into the instructions to the extent that we could now reach Hashem's essence, which is completely beyond the world and any created reality. So Avram Avinu 
learned Torah. It was an amazing achievement, but he's a person, a great tzaddik, the greatest of the great, and is limited to what the greatest of the great could achieve. We do Torah mitzvahs. Hashem himself is involved in this, and therefore we achieve whatever Hashem gives us, which is unlimited. You're going to see the Rambam writes this clearly. Anything that we distance ourselves from or that we dafka engage in, meaning to say the prohibitions of Torah or the instructions of Torah. Why do we do it? Because Hashem told Moshe to instruct us to do these things. So we'll give examples in a second. So it's not because of anything that was given to prior Nevim. For example, the fact that we do not eat the, li- the limb of a living animal, it's got nothing to do with the fact that historically, yes, Hashem prohibited Noach and his family from eating Aver Minachai. But that's not why we do it. Why do we do it, says the Rambam? We don't eat Aver Minachai because Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai, told us that we are bound by this law not to eat the limb of a living animal. Classic example, maybe even a better example in a sense. Fascinating, because people don't even realize this. We do not have a bris today because Avram Avinu circumcised himself and his family. Why do we have a bris, says the Rambam? It's because Moshe Rabbeinu instructed us that we should circumcise our male fa- family members as Avram Avinu did. And likewise, why do we not eat the sciatic nerve? Not because Yaakov Avinu had the incident with the Malach and therefore was injured and therefore his children no longer ate the Gid HaNasheh, but because Moshe Rabbeinu told us. So that's clear. The Rambam is making an halachic distinction between the kind of Torah mitzvahs of uh, the Ovis and the Shvatim and the kind of Torah mitzvahs that you and I experience. Chassidus explains why is there that distinction? Because it's only in the actions of Torah mitzvahs after the giving of the Torah that there is access to Hashem's energy, which in turn allows us to touch, to experience the essence of Torah. Okay, so that's a very clear thing explained in multiple places in Hasidus that there's this fantastic difference between how the others experienced Yiddishkeit and how we do. That raises the question. Whatever is recorded in the Torah, Torah is a book of lessons. So whatever is in the Torah is a lesson, not just for that time, but for our time as well after Matan Torah. In which case, Vim Cain, Mahi Hahiro, Marichas Asipur, Altvaravidas Ovis, Beterish Bechsav, Beterish Balpe, Ovarchova Sabir, Bidushak Sidus Vukole. Why is there so much detail, both in Scripture and in Terish Balpe, and with all the insight of Hasidus into the life and the experiences of the Ovis? It has no bearing, surely, on our experience of how we do Torah mitzvahs, because their Torah mitzvahs was within the limits of created beings, and our Torah mitzvahs has the gift of the Creator, and beyond the Creator, Mitzvah HaTorah. 
So Maida Hava Hava, what was, was, surely it doesn't have bearing on our avoider. Why are we learning these stories? Why do we pay them so much attention? Why do we engage with so much detail around those stories? So Horamban So the Ramban offers one possible suggestion. Why do we have all this detail about Avraham Avinu's journeys and Yitzchak digging wells and all the other stories? Because Kulam Boim Lelamed Al Heosid says the Ramban, they are all templates that indicate how things would pan out in the future of Jewish history. As we know very famously, the Medrash tells us the stories of our forefathers are all templates of the events that would occur in our lives as a nation. But the Ramban takes it into greater detail. He explains. When something occurs to one of the Avois, then that particular individual, Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, will then contemplate, okay, this happened to me. What does it tell me about the future for my children? So the Ramban basically says, what that means is there's a, a decree on high. When it plays out in the life of the Novi, he can now visualize how that will translate from his personal experience into the national experience of the Jewish people in the future. And then the Ramban goes on to give examples. So maybe that's the answer. It's, it's all insights. The, the stories of the Avos are insights into our experience. And if that's the stories Surely we can extrapolate that and actually even more apply it to the Torah mitzvahs of the Avos, that they should be indicators for our experience of Torah mitzvahs. And Hasidus actually talks about this. Thanks to the fact that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov invested so much incredible effort, that empowered us as their descendants, that we could receive the Torah and fulfill the Torah as given at Har Sinai. It's because they laid the groundwork. That's why you and I today can do a mitzvah and in doing so, imbue the physical world with holiness. So they actually started our engines for us, surely. So that's perhaps why we read their stories, because they help us to understand and appreciate how our own spirituality and terimeters are supposed to develop. But the Rebbe is not satisfied that that's a good enough answer. That doesn't seem to be a sufficient explanation. Why? Because if a story about something that the Avos did is written in the Torah, then Torah is eternal. That means So you cannot tell me something that was written in the Torah for all generations is only there so we should understand how we got to this point. What prepared us for it? Every single thing that is recorded in the Torah has to be a live, current, eternal lesson I can apply in my own Yiddishkeit today. Not only what was, not only that that's how we were empowered, it must be relevant now. The question is, how is it relevant now? So we'll ask a similar question. 
הדרך השאלה הנ"ל בנגיע לאבדס האבויס, יש לשאול גם אבדס גולוס מצרים. We could ask a similar question about everything that we know about the Egyptian exile. מהי ההוראה מסיפר התורה דבר גולוס מצרים לבני ישראל בכל הזמנים ובכל המקיימוס? What lesson is there for me today from the fact that the Avois, uh, sorry, that our forefathers were slaves in Egypt all those years ago? Particularly when you consider that we have a guarantee that a Golos like that of Mitzrayim can never repeat. So if the Golos can't repeat, what's the lesson for us? And again, don't tell me it's because it prepared us for Matan Torah. So your knee-jerk reaction would be the, the classic response and explanation. That you had to go through Goddess Mitzrayim to prepare in order to receive the Torah. That the experience of Goddess Mitzrayim was like this, this iron um, cauldron that prepared and cleansed us all in order to be able to receive the Torah. Same argument, right? The fact that the whole story of Goddess Mitzrayim is recorded in great detail in the Torah. It would be insufficient to say it's recorded with all of that detail so we'll know what led us to getting the Torah. It has to be current. It has to have a lesson for us. It has to be Nitzchi. It has to be eternal. So what's the lesson? The only thing that we must say, though, is if historically these stories occurred before Matan Torah, then the lesson we'll learn from them now will still be a lesson of preparation. Seeing as these were things that led to Matan Torah, their lessons must be about things that will lead us to our engagement in Torah. So again, that's why the, the stories are presented in the Torah prior to Har Sinai, so that when we apply them in our lives, they will be preparatory steps that we're going to take in our spirituality. And this is what we have to examine. What is the order of how a person is supposed to engage their Judaism? The order is there first has to be something akin to the experience of the Avois, and there has to be something akin to the experience of being in exile in Egypt. And from that, you can get to the point of really engaging in Torah and Mitzvahs properly. So let's understand, what are the unique elements of the Avois and their Avoida, and of Golos Mitzrayim, and then what can we extract from that and apply in our own lives? So the explanation is as follows. We already identified that the big difference between how the Avois served Hashem and how we do is they did it of their own volition and we do so because Hashem empowered us and instructed us to do so. Now that has two impacts. There's a distinction between what the person serving Hashem is like prior to or after the giving of the Torah. But secondly, the degree of divine revelation is also different. The Avois, because they were the ones who propelled themselves forward in their own spirituality, so whatever divine revelation they achieved was through their doing. They pushed upwards and achieved. 
היינו שהם עצמם נסעלו ונזדקחו, וממילא נעשה כן ממש לא יראו אלוקי שהיר על ידי אבידוסה. Because they put so much effort into the process, they refined and they elevated themselves, מלמטה למיילה, they promoted themselves spiritually, and so by the end of it, they were very well suited to absorb and experience and appreciate the divine revelation that would be the result of their efforts. Now that has a natural spin-off. If they put themselves into a place that they could receive divine energy, then the nature of that divine energy had to be appropriate. Because they invested effort, and through their effort they were able to elicit whatever divine energy created beings can elicit, so because it was something relative to their experience, because it was something relative to their efforts, they could enjoy and experience live what was being revealed and shared with them. Our experience is completely different. Whereas when you look at how we serve Hashem now post the giving of the Torah, very, very few, if any of us, will get an inkling of the spiritual elevation that the Avois had. They became like a vehicle for godliness. A vehicle has no independent mind. A vehicle goes exactly where it is directed to go by the driver. And that's how the Avois were. Wherever Hashem wanted them, that's where they went without hesitation. Who of us is going to get anywhere near that? Remember, our greatness is not our own. It's the gift Hashem gave us at Matan Torah. So we're not pushing with the same kind of investment that Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov did. So we're not going to get to the same level. But on the other hand, But on the other hand, because we've been gifted with Torah, which is Hashem's Torah, so therefore we're able to bring in a greater dimension of godliness into the world. Downside is, we won't actually experience it because it's way over our heads. So the time over, let's explain that a little bit more clearly. As we very well know, the Medrash tells us that prior to the giving of the Torah, there was an iron curtain between the higher spiritual realms and the lower physical reality. And that fell away at the time of the giving of the Torah, and there could be a synthesis between the spiritual and the physical, the holy and the mundane. Which means, That means prior to the giving of the Torah, the only kind of godliness that could be accessed here on earth would be godliness that is suitable for the earthly experience. Godliness that is beyond creation? No way that it could ever come into our space. That changed. Soon as Hashem gave the Torah, He rescinded that original barrier. Then Hashem said, those which are the lower elements can now raise themselves and connect with absolute godliness. And absolute godliness can filter down into this world. With the result that you could have a complete union between limited, finite, even physical beings an absolute godliness at a level which is completely beyond creation. But that's not our doing. That's Hashem's gift. Hashem removed the barrier. What happened at the time of the giving of the Torah? This great shift. How did it happen? 
Not like the others who climbed a spiritual ladder. Hashem, so to speak, buzzed us with this incredible divine energy from on high. And because it came from on high, which means we were not modified, we were not elevated, we were not ready for what Hashem had to offer us. And that's why we don't shift in a meaningful way. And we don't suddenly see what's being shared with us. That's why practically what happened at the time of the giving of the Torah is the tremendous divine revelation was temporary. As the Pasuk says, as soon as the shofar blast ended, the mountain reverted to its mundane status and people could climb the mountain. Again, there were no restrictions. So here comes our challenge. How could any of us ever become suited to really truly experience and absorb that massive infinite divine energy that became available to us after Matan that will require a tremendous amount of work on our part. Only when we now react and we also invest can we create this real synthesis and therefore a lasting impact of the Giloy of Matan Torah in our lives? How does that answer our question? Our question is, why would the Torah give us a particular order of events that the Avois and Golos Mitzrayim, that's the Hachona, that's the lessons in how you prepare to receive Torah, and then you've got to go about receiving Torah. So, move on. Well, now we begin to understand why it is that the stories relating to the Avois and how they kept Torah, specifically Avram Avinu in our parish of this week, how that all gives us an insight into how we prepare ourselves to really unite with the infinite energy of Torah. How that is an eternal lesson relevant to us today. Here's the lesson. Even though we're post-Matan Torah, and Hashem has given us the, the, the most incredible gift of the Torah, if we wanted to be real for us, if we wanted to speak to us, that won't happen if we haven't first invested our own personally driven efforts like Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov did. So that's the point. Torah is available to me. But just like Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were the precursor to Torah, where they pushed through their own efforts to own the Torah on their own level, I've got to do that if I want to access what Torah really has to offer. So, Torah. Generally speaking, historically, the preparation for Matan Torah was what? To open the channel to be able to bring this incredible divine revelation down into this world. How historically did we prepare for that? Two things had to happen. You had to have real avoider, real investment of humans, the greatest human beings ever. And you had to have bittel, total submission of those people to Hashem. When that happened, then So through their avoider, they opened the channel to be able to get godliness that they could appreciate and 
relate to, represented by the story of the Avos. The Avos pushed to the ceiling of human achievement, and therefore they got the maximum divine revelation that could be calibrated to humans. And that was the That opened the possibility that now, subsequently, we could bring into this world divine revelation that is completely beyond what the world could ever handle. So that's the history. Avram, Yitzchok, Yaakov, and Co. They put in so much effort to reach the pinnacle of human spiritual achievement as a result of which they personally enjoyed the greatest Gilo'yelikus that the world could possibly accommodate. And that opens the chapter or opens the door for the next chapter, which is divine revelations completely beyond the world. That's the historical scale. The same principle applies on the personal level. We have to have those stages. In fact, not only do we have to have those stages, the nature of how Jewish education works reflects those stages, as we'll see. As it is on the grand scale of history, it is equally so in the personal scale of my personal spiritual development, by Voidas B'nai Yisrael in each person's Avoidah. In order that that tremendous gift from God, that infinite amount of divine energy, should become personal and part of my life, me the individual who's actually studying Torah out of a book and performing the mitzvahs as prescribed, in order that that should become meaningful to me, how's that going to happen? Not just simply by saying, okay, Torah, hit me with your best shot. The person first has to work tremendously hard to refine themselves and to achieve submission, to be completely dedicated to Hashem. Because the minute a person does that, then the person becomes completely synthesized with the divine energy that is accessible to humans on human terms. Once you've done that, thereafter, you now become open to receive something beyond yourself in simple terms. If you push yourself to the threshold, if you push yourself to the limits of human endeavor, that allows Hashem to open the gateway for you to that which is beyond the human experience. So I've got to work on myself first and really consolidate Torah in a personal way to the best of my abilities in order to not just simply access, but to experience the elements of Elikus, which are within Torah completely beyond the world. This is alluded to, it's similar to what the Gemara tells us famously. That the Gemara says you should always learn Torah even if it's not for the sake of Torah. In other words, a kind of misguided intention. Because from that you'll eventually come to learn for the correct reasons. Now, most of us understand that as it's unfortunate we've got to do it this way. Look what he says. We're not only addressing a person who is incapable of real dedication to Torah. So let's bait them first and say, okay, so do it for whatever other reasons, because you enjoy it, because perhaps it will give you insight and appreciation of your Judaism. And eventually it will rub off on you and you'll start to learn Torah for the right reasons. Actually, the Gemara is telling us something deeper. 
The fact that the Gemara starts that statement by saying as if to say this is how you should always do it. This is actually the correct order in which a person is supposed to learn Torah. In other words, because as long as a person learns Torah, even with the inappropriate intentions, and whatever the highest level of that might be, I'm learning Torah because it's enriching or whatever. That is the first step because it makes Torah personal to me. I'm learning Torah in a way that talks to me, so now it becomes personal. I'm not engaging at that point with Torah as Torah is in its pristine, super universal level. Instead, at that point, I'm learning Torah as it relates to a very specific objective that I have. So I'm learning Torah because I want to be smart. Okay, so I'm connecting to the intellectual component of Torah. Torah that relates to this world. Intelligence is part of this world. Or I'm learning it because I want to be able to be a more spiritual person. Okay, spiritual is part of this world. So I've connected to a part of Torah that fits into this world. That is a necessary introduction or preface that will eventually open the possibility of me learning Torah for the right reason. As Hashem's Torah, completely beyond the world. Which opens the possibility of being able to connect to Hashem in His essence, completely beyond the world, expressed through the Torah as it is, beyond the restraints and constraints of this world. Needless to say, the giving of the Torah radically revolutionized every aspect of learning Torah. Which means that any part of Torah that I'm learning at any time with any motivation will always now, post-Matan Torah, give me access to the divine energy that is beyond this world. As the Gemara says, The Gemara says, Any student, it doesn't say any student who has a certain level of understanding or a certain level of commitment to God or a certain level of piety. Any student who learns Torah, they participates in that learning. And in a similar way, there's a connection between us and Hashem through mitzvahs. That didn't exist before the giving of the Torah. So every learning has this unique connection between us and Hashem now. But if we're honest, we don't feel it necessarily. You sit down, you learn Gemara. So you open up, what do you now feel resonant with Hashem? You feel not necessarily. You think I have a kashi on In order to be able to grab that experience of divine revelation and make it re- revealed, real, accessible, connected to the individual who's learning, 
that individual would have had to first work on themselves, to refine themselves, to experience the Torah on their terms in the most personal way, and not on their terms in a misguided fashion, but to actually relate to it, to actually appreciate it, to actually understand it, to celebrate the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight and the holiness of the Torah. Now this translates into the educational system. This is the order in which we teach Torah. When a child is young, five years old, starting Chumash for the first time, how do we teach him? At that level, the teacher says, Hashem's strong hand means Hashem has a strong hand. Hashem's great hand means Hashem has a great hand. No matter how much the teacher will try to strip away the materialism of these metaphors, the five-year-old will still picture in his mind a very big, strong hand that doesn't look exactly like a human hand and it belongs to God. It's just that the child is smart enough to realize that however big and however strong this hand is, it's nothing like and it doesn't look in any way like even the teacher's hand. In other words, at that level of teaching, we're teaching a child something that is fundamentally flawed. Hashem doesn't have a hand, and yet that's what we're doing. If you consider the fact that it is a fundamental belief of Judaism that Hashem has no form. How then could the Torah expect us to educate people who are either young in age or young in knowledge and use terms that could be so misleading that they could actually take Literally. And it's not because this is, uh, it's just efficient, so teachers have come up with this method. This is the method laid out in Torah. First you have to learn Pshat. Then you graduate to the other levels. Why is that? Why do we want a child to have a picture in their mind that Hashem has a hand at any point in their education? The explanation is at least a summary of the explanation. When you learn the simple understanding of the psukim with a child, and in the child's mind, it's all about physical limbs, a physical arm and an outstretched arm and a strong hand. The only thing is a child appreciates that it's vastly bigger or stronger than anything he's ever seen before. It's not false. Because the child understands a simple principle. Even the adult in the room, the teacher's hand, that may be able to do things the child's hand cannot yet do. Maybe he's able to Draw artistically, or who knows what. The child knows. The child understands it's not because of the flesh, the muscles, the bones, the sinews. 
The child understands there's a force inside the hand that allows it to do these things. What's that force? Hi, Nishim. It's the Nisham. Even though he has no clue what a Nishama is. Not only does he have no clue. The teacher also doesn't know what a Nishama is. But that's what he tells him. And he understands that this is it's some kind of power and energy that Hashem instills or imbues the person to have. And that's all he knows. So therefore the child can understand As soon as the child understands that what makes the, the teacher able to write more clearly than me is not that he has a stronger hand. It means that he's got more koyach, that his neshama is somehow affecting his hand more than mine. So therefore, when he thinks of Hashem's big, powerful hand, he doesn't think this massive, giant hand. The child already appreciates it must mean that Hashem's hand has a lot more of Hashem's energy than a human hand has of Hashem's energy. So we're not lying to the child. We're not misleading the child. We're not miseducating the child. In other words, anything that a person with limited knowledge learns and therefore learns and in a limited way, don't freak out that they're learning such a limited understanding. It doesn't matter. They're learning Hashem's Torah. They're learning MS. It's just that your perception or this individual's perception of this massive topic is extremely narrow. At this stage, all the child is able to get is that little sliver of what a child's mind can grasp of such a massive concept. Then later on, following the order as Torah itself prescribes, he'll graduate to the understanding of a 10-year-old who can now learn the Mishnah and understand things more deeply. And then you can graduate to 15 years old and understand with the inside of Gemara, etc., etc., Slowly, slowly, you'll strip away more and more levels of the materialism until eventually you get to the level of soy and you understand that Hashem has absolutely no bearing on anything we can identify physically. What's the point? The point is the child has to grasp the concept at his level so that when he graduates to the next level, it's real and meaningful. Instead of trying to superimpose information on him that he cannot resonate with. This is the Hachona to Matan Torah. First you work with your abilities, to the best of your abilities at that time. And then you graduate to the next level and then to the next level until eventually Hashem opens the door to go beyond any level that a human could achieve. So this applies to anybody who learns Torah. First, you have to learn Torah as it aligns to your specific Shurish Neshama. So some people will resonate more with Gemara and some people more with philosophy and some people more with Chassidus. And that's where you've got to go because it has to first resonate. 
In this specific facet, that Torah learning will be similar to how the Avos learned Torah. How did they learn Torah? Of their own volition, with their own propulsion. So when you learn the parts of Torah that speak to you, in that way you're similar to how they learned Torah. In other words, you're learning Torah within the context of creation. What's the context of creation? I am me. You are you. I have my way of understanding. You have your way. I have the things that appeal to me. You have the things that appeal to you. I have this kind of brain. You have that kind of brain. And each of us has to find ownership of Torah from our own personal perspective. But you don't stop there. Eventually you'll reach the ultimate of what the human experience can capture. All of that will prepare you to eventually graduate to learning Torah in the best way possible. Which is the Maile Me'abriya or Mishoresh Nishmosoi, learning Torah as it stands beyond the whole created reality and beyond the details of your specific Neshama and its alignment. You'll be able to access Torah as Hashem shared it with us at Matan Torah. So there you have the template of Torah learning, of the Jewish experience. First, a person has to relate to things in a personal way that it resonates, that you have ownership. Then you take that to the ultimate level of what you could achieve and eventually graduate to the experience of Torah as it is in its truest sense, totally beyond the scope of our abilities. Why does it have to be this way that we have to have our void as similar to the obvious? That first a person has to work to, so to speak, perfect their own abilities. In other words, to access the godliness and the Torah knowledge which is relative to to the created human experience. And that would be That would be the preparation for how Torah is going to, so to speak, really manifest itself at the time of the giving of the Torah. Torah which is completely beyond the created reality. We said earlier that there are two facets what it does for me, and how much revelation there is. So it's not just that I go through an experience where I become one with the Torah, and that's very enriching and opens the gateway to be able to trans- transcend myself. But also, this also has an impact on the Torah itself. What does that mean? When we're talking about revealing godliness through Torah, godliness that is totally beyond the created reality, and then it's going to seep down into the created reality, it's not just going to happen like this. One minute, it's going to be part and parcel of our reality. At first, it will just be a tiny thread of that divine energy that trickles down into our reality. And that tiny thread will become completely encompassed by and absorbed into the realities of our world. 
ורק לאחרי זה מסגל העצם האוהר. And only after that happens and slowly starts to expand and develop and impact the world more and more and more, then can you open the sluice gates and allow the essence of that energy to come into our world. That's talking about divine energy. Same thing applies within Torah. Before Hashem presented Matan Torah to us, then Torah was fundamentally beyond anything in the created order. And there was just a trickle of Torah knowledge that started that fell down into this world, that came down into this world via the voice. What was that? Torah as it is suited, calibrated for the reality of this world. The Torah experience of the voice. Not only after Matan Torah was there suddenly uh, carte blanche and everything was available to everybody all the time easily. There's also a process. Before a person is able to access the real essence of Torah as it is beyond creation, first, first the person has to draw into their reality the parts of Torah that are accessible, that make sense to me, that resonate with human experience. And only after you master that can you open up the, the channel to the essence of Torah as it is completely beyond our world. Very similar to what we noted before, Torah actually has four different ways that you're supposed to learn it. We go from the bottom up, we start from Pshat, but how does the Torah enter our space? The Pshat is an evolution that emerged out of Remez, which in turn emerged out of Drush, which in turn emerged out of Soit. So at some point we reach the point we access Soit. That explains and how it prepares us to receive the Torah. But we also said that before you could get the Torah, there has to be some kind of a hachana which is similar to the experience of being in Golos in Mitzrayim. Because just doing what the Avos did alone, in our experience, could actually become quite misguided. Just simply to work through Torah in terms that resonate with us as individuals that we can really relate to, it's not going to do the trick on its own. We also need an experience of Golos Mitzrayim. What's Golos Mitzrayim? Who wants that? That's the chronology of how it happened originally. Well, the original history and chronology was that after the preparation of the Avos, learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, they still, the children, had to go through Golos Mitzrayim. Why? The explanation is this. Because what Hashem was going to present to them at the time of Matan Torah was infinitely, exponentially beyond the reality of this world. For that reason, it wouldn't ever work. It doesn't make any sense. 
a human being is going to work using human abilities to the maximum of human capacity, how's that going to ever take them to a point of receiving something beyond human capacity? The bottom line is that a created being is in no way able to access the Creator. So therefore, not only do we have to take the nivra, the created being, to maximum power, we also have to fundamentally reconstitute that created being. How do you reconstitute a human or any created entity? For that, you need something which is similar to Golos Mitzrayim. And that's the only thing that can open the gateway to actually accessing Torah as Hashem intended it. What happened in Golos Mitzrayim? The Pasuk tells us Golos Mitzrayim was defined by It was defined by mortar and bricks and all types of work that were back-breaking labor. Zohar explains what that means in Torah language because we're talking over here about learning Torah. So how do you have Golos Mitzrayim in a Torah experience? Says the Zohar. Choymer, the cement, the mortar, that represents the process of kalva choymer, the extrapolation of, of halacha from one case to another. And levenim comes from the word to clarify what the practical halacha is, which is not easy. That takes a tremendous amount of effort. And what is back-breaking labor? The Gemara tells us, Men's work, work for women and women's work for men, which means a person doing something which is against their nature and against what they're habituated doing. Dafka, when a person works in a way that goes against their nature, that refines the person in the most brilliant way. To the point that now the person is fundamentally shifted. And now that the person is fundamentally shifted, they have surrendered their persona. They haven't just filled their persona with the ultimate of human endeavor, like the Avos. But they've surrendered their persona and started to do things which are against their nature and difficult for them and they don't resonate with. That opens a person to be able to access godliness that is beyond them, beyond their reality, beyond the world that they live in. They step out of their world. That's how they access godliness, which is beyond the world. And with that, the Rebbe explains a well-known story about the Tzemach Tzedek that at face value doesn't seem to make sense. It's actually quite a, 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 a hectic story. What's the story about the Tzemach Tzedek? He was young. The Alter Rebbe once called him over. And the Alter Rebbe offered the Tzemach Tzedek that he would give him a gift to be able to master areas of Torah. And the Tzemach Tzedek Politely declined. Behazbiroi, what was his motivation? He said, I don't want the gift of Torah. I want to work, labor to be able to achieve Torah learning of my own efforts. 
Kavur kama v'chamashani, many years later, Kasha Hosef Chochamach Chochmosay, when the Tzemach Tzedek had increased, obviously, in his learning and wisdom and insight, Omar HaTzemach Tzedek, Shemitztar al-Zeh, Shalo Yiskim, La'atzosu Shalo Ben Azokin. Then the Tzemach Tzedek said he regretted not having accepted the offer from the Alter Rebbe. Whatever incredible gifts of Torah the Alter Rebbe may have given him, he still would have had the opportunity to reach beyond that and to work and apply effort in learning Torah. To achieve even higher levels, because ultimately Torah is infinite, so no matter what gift of a head start you get, there's an infinite journey still ahead. So we've heard the story. But there's something about the story that doesn't make sense. For Lechaira Yeshlishol, you could ask, Meikora Maikosavar, or Besef Maikosavar. What did the Tzemach Tzedek originally think and what changed? Harikosha Loimar, Shebiyosa Godabi Diasatera Vachule. It's far fetched to suggest that the Tzemach Tzedek, who was a master of Torah, of the highest order, and was at a level that he deserved the gift of whatever great Torah the Alter was going to give him. At that stage of life, the Tzemach could never have thought of what's apparently quite an obvious argument. Whatever I have now will be even greater if I have the head start. Torah is infinite. There'll still be more to learn with my own efforts. So there's a revolutionary explanation. There was no real regret on the Tzemach Tzedek's behalf. It's only that when the Alter Rebbe offered him this incredible gift of Torah, the Tzemach Tzedek sensed that at that stage of his life, he hadn't yet completed the hachana of real human endeavor for which you now deserve the gift. That Tzemach Tzedek felt that he hadn't yet reached the point where he deserved a gift. For which reason the Tzemach Tzedek believed that he was not yet at the level that he deserved whatever Torah it is the Alter ever wanted to share with him. Later on in life, when the Tzemach Tzedek confidently realized that he had in fact achieved that degree of personal effort in Torah, then at that point the Tzemach Tzedek now felt suitable to have received the gift that the Alter Rebbe had previously offered. That's when he said, ah, now, if I had that gift, how much further I could go. So therefore, this concept of incredible work within Torah and specifically pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone within Torah. That echoes the concept of Godless Mitzrayim being a preparation for Matan Torah. So the take-home lesson for us is that each of us is supposed to start our Torah journey by relating to Torah on a personal level and appreciating our skills and our abilities and using them to the max to learn as much as we could possibly learn. 
After which we have to have the Yegea of Golos, which is to move into areas that are completely foreign to us and not comfortable and not aligned with our spiritual makeup and push through that too. And that opens the door to be able to receive and access and understand Torah as it truly is.